Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here with a special guest this morning, Dr. Jimmy Avery. A lot of our row crop guys might not be familiar with Jimmy, but Jimmy has been at Stoneville for many, many years. He works at the Thad Cochran National Warm Water Aquaculture Center. So, Jimmy, thanks for walking over this morning, man, and sharing some of your time with us. Thanks. Good to help. I like to start off with a little off-the-wall question. You work in catfish, and you've worked in catfish for many, many years. Jimmy, what's the biggest catfish you've ever seen? Not necessarily out of a pond, just Biggest catfish that you've ever laid your eyes on? Biggest catfish I've ever laid my eyes on is a blue broodstock male, probably about 45, 50 pounds, that was actually in a in one of our catfish ponds. And we were just holding broodstock, and these things like to eat and grow fast, and uh, that's why we use them in a hybrid, but it's a, a blue catfish. So how long is a 50-pound blue catfish? Probably somewhere around 32, 36 inches. So he's a pretty thick dude. And a big head. (laughs) (laughs) So about the size of a sack of dog food, Tom. Yes. Yes, but it fights back. Or or a sack of soybeans. I was going to say, or a bag of soybeans. (laughs) And he probably had a significantly poor attitude, right? Yes. (laughs) He he was looking to get back in the water just as fast as he could. (laughs) I've seen large iguanas before at frat houses that guys feed dog food and whatnot, and those are usually, they're a little ill-tempered as well. So I can only imagine a large catfish in water. Well, it's because he's a lizard eating dog food, probably. Right. He probably wants some lizard food. In a frat house. So not a an exceptional environment for several reasons. (laughs) Well, Jimmy, I want to take a second and tell folks who you are and how long you've been at Stoneville and, and kind of a little bit about what you do. This is my second stint at Stoneville. I was here as a research associate in the College of Vet Medicine back from 82 to 85. Uh, left here, went to LSU and uh, worked uh, in a parish office and worked statewide in a, several different aquaculture species, uh, one of which was catfish, uh, but had a chance to come back uh, in 99 and uh, uh, it was at that time, and I still think it is today, the best uh, extension aquaculture position uh, in the U.S., and it was really something uh, I couldn't pass up. Of course, it didn't hurt that I was born in Greenville and grew up in Cleveland and had a chance to come back home. But, you know, t- to leave uh, a very good Louisiana aquaculture position uh, was tough, but this was the one job that would have gotten me away from that. So I came back in 99 uh, as an extension aquaculture specialist and uh, have been doing that work since 99. And in 2012, I became director of the USDA NEPA Southern Regional Aquaculture Center. So I kind of split my time between those two jobs. It's interesting that Many of us in Stoneville, and when I say many, it doesn't necessarily include me, are from this general area. So it's it's good to see somebody from the aquaculture side of things that has the same feeling about this general region and geography that wants to come back home. How many times you've heard me say basically the same thing, that working at LSU, this is about the only job that would have gotten me to leave that job was to come to Stoneville. Just well, being, being from here. Yet another good plug after we talked to Lori yesterday about the whole, you know, talk about the culture and what's here. And 
be a good advertiser for this general region and especially this experiment station. And we don't necessarily get enough of that flavor coming from the, the other side of the road. Well, I mean, this was an opportunity that essentially 90% of the, of the catfish work being done in this country was right here. You know, and at that time, probably 75 to 80% of the catfish production was in 50 miles of here. And so if you were going to be where you could have an impact on the catfish industry, you needed to be right here. And uh, that opportunity doesn't come up very often. And it just so happens that I was in the right, uh, right place, right time, and got the offer and uh, wanted to come back. Well, it's a good thing you've stayed here. I'm coming up on 16 years here, which some days is a little difficult to wrap your head around because I didn't live in the same place for that long growing up. So moving here and, and staying here and seeing how that's unfolded over those years, I think it's encouraging to continue to run across people in Stoneville that have been here so long. It speaks a lot to Mississippi State University, and it speaks a lot to the relationships we have on this experiment station. And then with the farming community, is is so important and integral and how we go about our day-to-day jobs. And I can't think of something that's more important than how integrated ag is in this area and how catfish really fits into that in the general vicinity. And the fact that within 50 miles, you just said what the overall percentage of, of the catfish industry was in this country. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable to just be able to walk out the door and interact with those folks on a day-to-day basis. Well, one thing about here, and one of the reasons I wanted to come back, is you don't have to walk out the door. They will walk to your door and knock on it and come in and go right to whatever that source of information is. And uh, that's been so um, rewarding, you know, for everybody in that position. You know, you talk about the people that have come here. Well, if you look at across the street, if you look at the NWAC, we've had an awful lot of people come through those doors from a research or extension side of that. Is they come here, they, they get trained very, very well, and then they go on off for very other, either family reasons or they're getting just to kind of move up in the academic chain or whatever. But uh, yeah, we've had people leave here and become directors at, a, at cold water aquaculture research centers, you know, or directors of, of other research facilities across the U.S. So we've had kind of a, a, great list of people come through here that have that have gone on but those those people that have stayed and we've had people that have stayed longer than i've been here uh as well that have made a career out of it and have really impacted uh this industry jimmy you mentioned folks coming to you and tom and i talk about that a lot on here about our stakeholders seeking us out and the other folks too not not necessarily tom and i and I know, particularly in more recent years, maybe your stakeholders and our stakeholders don't overlap as much now as maybe they once did. Tell folks how the catfish industry is doing, particularly how's it doing in Mississippi. Well, we're still the largest producer uh, in the U.S., and we produce somewhere around 60% of the catfish grown in the U.S., our uh, neighbors, uh, Alabama and Arkansas, or probably make up the majority uh, of that other 40%. U.S. acreage now is about 56,000 acres, and we make up about 33 of that. Uh, then now, to be honest with you, that's down 
that's down from our peak in Mississippi at one time. We probably had 120,000 acres of catfish uh, across the Delta and East Mississippi. Uh, so we're down probably somewhere around 75%, 78%. But we're still producing somewhere around 320 million pounds of product. And the only way you can do that on reduced acres, as you guys know from other ag commodities, is you've got to be a more efficient on a per acre basis. What's our total production now compared with when we had that much higher acres? Well, let's say back in, let's say back in the 80s, if you went out and bought catfish uh, in this country, probably somewhere around 95% of what you would buy would be domestically produced U.S. farm-raised catfish. Now it's probably 25% okay. of what you would buy out there. I was afraid so, you were going to say yeah, uh, and, a, a uh, number similar to that. I didn't know what the number would be, but I was afraid that was going to be Yeah, you know, At one time, we were producing somewhere around 660 million pounds on about 200,000 acres. Okay, Now we're producing roughly half of that, 321 million pounds, uh, on about 55,000 acres. Only way you can do that, of course, is raising more pounds per acre. So even as few as 10 years ago, we were producing about 4,000 pounds to the acre. And due in large part to the work done here at this station, we've been able to raise that by about 58%. We're producing somewhere around 7,000 pounds to the acre now. So we've become a lot more efficient on the fewer acres that we have. You mentioned the production way back when, and I'm a big history buff. So give us some background on the catfish industry in general, and then, of of course, more specifically in Mississippi. How did it end up here when we had 120,000 acres and the overwhelming majority of the U.S. acres were in Mississippi how did that come to be? If you look back in the 60s, we started having a few acres pop up. You know, there was a big demand for uh, channel catfish. You know, it was a common commodity coming out of the Mississippi River and our local lakes. And so it was a staple that was known uh, in the Delta. And so people started to build these ponds to say, look, well, you know, we need to have some catfish available uh, that we can sell when it's not in the peak of the, the wild caught season. So we started to try and take advantage of that. And so at some point, somebody says, well, you know, hey, we've got all these fish here now. We need to process them. And, well, if we're going to grow these fish, we need to do a little better job of producing our own feed. So the infrastructure started to develop here. Okay, so we had processing. We had feed mills. We had kind of the infrastructure to kind of get this moving along. And so that continued to build. And... Farmers were looking for alternatives for during, let's say, during those 60s or 70s when uh, there are other grain commodities, you know, weren't paying very well. And so we had these heavy clay soils, you know, with water fairly close to the surface that we could go pump out. We just started building more and more ponds. And I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but where I grew up right across the river, when I was a kid, in about this same time frame, you know, in the early 80s into the mid 80s, it seemed like catfish ponds, everywhere I saw, there were dirt buckets running, building ponds, just multiple crews, big 10, 11, 12 tractors running buckets at a time, just unbelievable. And part of the driver for that was that little corner of the world, there's salt in the aquifer. It's just natural. So it's 
now it's classified as a distressed watershed. Back then it was just, we can't grow good rice on this stuff because we put salt water on the rice and it falls Mm -hmm. over dead. And that was the driver for, for that production there. My family, for whatever reason, never chose to get into that industry. They stayed with row crops, but a lot of the, our neighbors, many of them went exclusively to catfish production for a time. You know, and, and it was always a big commitment once you go down that route, you know, because now, like you're saying, I'm paying to have all this equipment come in here and reshape all this land. And it's not something that next year I can come in and, and rotate something in and out of it. Once you've made that commitment, you know, then we're talking probably 10 years and just to kind of make your land improvement costs, you know, back on these things. So a lot of these farms, once they went that direction, it stayed that way for quite a long period of time until once they started looking at alternatives, then we started rolling back levees, lowering down levees, putting uh, traditional row crops in the bottom of these ponds. And some of these eventually come down and there's no trace there's ever a catfish pond, you know, unless you're looking at something from Google Earth, you yeah. know, and you can kind of, do that little sliding scale there yeah, and see, see what over this, time. Yeah, see what this county looked like in, in 1985 and mm. looking and see what it looks like in, in 2022. You still drive around now and see some places where they have a portion of a levee torn down. Or there's a couple of places, you know, there's a power pole out there and like a butte of earth around the power pole mm-hmm. still. Not not too many of those left. Yeah, and used to be the drive from here to Belzona, you were going to do at least 10 miles with catfish on both sides of the road for you. And it was just that kind of tourist attraction kind of thing. And they're mowing some of that CRP down now at this point. They have at least in the last few months. I mean, I've noticed that on the north side of, of 12 coming through there the last few times I've been through there. I don't, I don't know that they planted anything in there recently, but they'd certainly have big old piles of trees. So progresses through the years, Jimmy, to the peak of the industry in our area and then on to where we are today. You know, I would probably say by by the 80s, we pretty much had the basis of a good research knowledge of what we needed to, to grow. Uh, and so we really started seeing things take off uh, in the 80s, early 90s. And we kind of hit our peak uh, in early 2000, 2001 uh, at about this 196,000 acres. Uh, and we were we were producing probably about 660 million pounds, and we kind of at that point we kind of had a vision say, hey, we have an opportunity here to get to a billion pound industry. Okay, we're all, kind of on that trajectory, either through it, more acreage or more efficiency, we can reach this kind of goal. Well, we reached that goal, but unfortunately. Uh, a very large part of that now is uh, that billion-pound catfish industry is imported, you know, from other places. So we we hit that peak back at about 2001, 2003, and there was kind of a series of events. It's, it wasn't just the fact that Vietnam started shipping, you know, container loads of uh, Bassa and Tri over here at essentially one-third the cost of our uh, channel catfish. Uh, but we had some issues in there with some high fee prices, uh, these kinds of things. We had some market disruptions, and so we started seeing that acreage and that production go in the other way. We have been relatively stable for the last six or seven years. Okay, we've kind of been hovering around this 60,000 acres. So we've been stable there, but we have been increasing that production, you know, a little bit uh, each year 
to where we are today. Uh, but I think probably that kind of turnaround in the fact that foreign competition started coming in at one-third the price, had a couple of hiccups. In fact, we got in some low fish prices, probably in the 55, 53 cents per pound. Uh, only thing that saved us back then, we were only paying $192 a ton for feed. Okay, now you're looking at $600 a ton for feed, and uh, we've got to get somewhere around $1.30 just to almost cover those input costs. Uh, and of course, f- uh, fuel prices as well. You talked about that early 2000 time frame. In our world, the big pivot right in there in the late 90s was Roundup Ready. And it just changed so much, you know, top to bottom agriculture. And then, too, this peak that you're talking about in that time frame, we also always remember – I don't know if this was the high water mark, but the year that I got out of school, Mississippi had 1.6 million acres of cotton. It would have been right in the same time frame that you're talking about. So the landscape out here looked very different then between the density of the, the ponds plus the cotton and probably had twice to three times, maybe not three times as much, but twice as much rice as we have in 2023. So it just looked very different. And then I think Roundup Ready really maybe didn't directly influence the catfish industry, but it certainly had an indirect influence on what was going on in the area at that time and made some of those other crops more attractive to the growers that had flexibility to come in and out. And please correct me if if I'm way off base there. No, I would say from a, from an expansion side of that, in other words, going from 196,000 to 250,000 acres, I think that probably did play an influence, you know, because there are some other attractive alternatives out here that I don't have to spend this money on going back in here and landform all this and making this commitment to this land or this commodity. Well, and how many farmers did you have that ultimately embrace getting into catfish as just a diversification. So they were trying to diversify their agricultural portfolio to continue to bring money onto the farm. So they had a row crop outfit and they raised some catfish. Yeah, I would say all of them. You know, at that point, you know, they were looking for either you had, uh, you needed something to kind of level out the vagaries of you know commodity prices i've got something over here that's going to be maybe a little more consistent from year to year or some of it was the fact that hey i've just got a piece of land over here that's you know not giving me very good yields in these kind of things either it's too much clay or it's subject to flooding or it's the last thing to ever dry out so it's always going to be a late plant or whatever so it just kind of makes sense to come in there and and build ponds on some of these locations you know and that's another thing i think that that helped us out in mississippi is the fact that we had we kind of had boundless topography you could come in here and you could make a pretty wide swath of these ponds here at that time 15 20 acre ponds in big blocks uh, a lot of our other states didn't have that opportunity they were just kind of piecemealing it around either because of the varied topography these kind of things and that's the difference in east mississippi and, and the delta in East Mississippi, yes, they're diversified farmers, just like they are in the Delta, but they can, they're very limited on what they can actually put a catfish pond on just due to the, the rolling nature of that, that land there. Yardage-wise, you move a lot of dirt building a pond, but 
compared with what you might have to do in a different, like you're describing in a different state or a different area of this state, it's low. It is. And it's all topsoil too. So you don't, rarely are you going to worry about running into something solid down under there or hitting, even hitting a sand vein Correct. either where that, that pond won't hold water. Correct. The other advantage here in the, in the Delta, of course, is the fact that, uh, you know, our alluvial water sources are relatively shallow, you know, and, and we've certainly gotten better over the years about water conservation uh, on these ponds. We've found, you know, we have found uh, ways to manage water quality other than replacing, you know, that water. We don't go through the amount that we used to. Some work that we did here back in uh, the 90s and early 2000s, just about capturing more rainfall. You know, we're blessed with, and y'all guys know the numbers probably better than I do, whether it's 55 or 58 inches a year. You know, if we can catch every inch of that, you know, that's less than we got to pull out of the ground. So how we set our pipes, our overflow pipes, to catch as much of that as possible has helped out. But that availability of water good topography, and a very strong infrastructure, either from processing feeds and supply chain, uh, really has what helped this part of Mississippi become the predominant catfish producer in the U.S. So then what's the future look like, Jimmy? Well, one thing about it, we've we've got a very strong uh, base of people that want our product. If you've grown up with farm-raised channel catfish, you're going to pick that out you know, in a grocery store. Now, unfortunately, outside of Mississippi, Arkansas, and Alabama, uh, if you go into a restaurant, you're not going to know what kind of choice you're making simply because it it doesn't have that kind of uh, legislation that says you have to put it on there, what the source is. We do in Mississippi. So I think we have a very strong base, and I think that's kind of why we have kind of been fairly stable uh, in our acreage and our production over the last four or five years because we have a, a set of people out there that, like our product and are willing to pay uh, more for our product and willing to pay more for our product when our input costs go up. I think it has stabilized. I hope it continues to kind of be in this uh, the range for, um, for some period of time. Of course, we've got more and more challenges, you know, as a producer, and I'm sure you can say that for all of your commodities, where you talk about increased regulation or loss of uh, products that you would like to use on your farm that are being taken away. So we've got the challenges out there, like all other ag commodities have on our production methods. But uh, we've got a better animal now. We've got a hybrid catfish. We've got better pond production systems out there. Uh, so we have some um, improvements uh, that have resulted in this increased uh, production. And I think what we'll see is even if our acreage stays stable, then we'll see our production on a per acre basis continue to increase. These new technologies are expensive, so you've got to kind of get ahead of the game enough where you can invest that money back into these technologies. And as our farmers do that, I think we'll see this production. Right now, about 31% of our acreage out there is in this kind of intensive systems. Uh, And as more and more farmers move to those more and more intensive systems, we'll see that production efficiency continue to increase. I think that's something that will resonate with the guys that listen to this podcast that maybe don't know a thing about the catfish industry other than they see some ponds driving around. But efficiency 
increasing production on an acre that will really resonate with the folks that listen to us jimmy i want to personally apologize for never having you in here before that was awesome i really enjoyed it and we want to get you back in here and talk about some of these things that you kind of mentioned in passing but a lot of these improvements in the catfish industry have come from work that was done right here in Stoneville. We want to go through some more of those because I know y'all have really changed the way that we grow fish and and produce in the aquaculture industry. So uh, we want to be able to devote ample amount of time to that. You know, I I think when we look at the basis for this increase of production, uh, it's really four or five different things. And most of those things have been accomplished here. We're looking at intensive production systems, whether we're talking about split ponds, or intensively aerated small ponds, talking about the production of hybrid, hybrid catfish and the genetics associated with that. Also, we have a new vaccine uh, for ESC disease that was uh, developed here and really will serve as a pathway forward in how we administer other vaccine programs. And we've come a long way in being able to identify and address some of the new and emerging pathogens that we see out there as well. Thank you for coming. Tom, do you have anything? No, I just was going to say, I mean, I think we definitely need to spend more time highlighting those research-based relationships that come from farmers that are raising catfish in the local area because that's basically what drives and has allowed NWAC to flourish in this part of the country. And that's done nothing but promote catfish raised in this part of the country and put those dollars right back into research and help develop you know, good best management practices for catfish production. Jimmy, thank you. We really appreciate you coming. Thanks for asking me. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.